I'm Carla Thresawak, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do on these weekly updates is I just share a few thoughts um, about what has been going on in the week and also give an update about where we are in our efforts to help some Afghan Christians um, escape the Taliban in their um, immigration journey. So I got involved in this. Um, I was asked by my friend Mark Ritchie to um, help teach some of his the Bible studies that he had been doing in Pakistan via Zoom. And um, two of those Bible studies happened to be with some Afghan Christians that had evacuated to Pakistan. And um, in October of last year, he um, there were some actions that the Pakistan government was taking that were are very hostile to Afghan refugees. And so that kind of expanded it from just Bible studies to kind of helping them sort the situation out where they were and um, also try to find an option and, and out for them. So it's just kind of grown from there. And our um, big thing that our big first effort was to help them get Pakistan or visas to stay in Pakistan because just to be there. They have to have valid visas or um, an immigration visa already. Now, I think regardless, they need to have a, a pac valid Pakistan visa to stay in Pakistan, also to fly out of Pakistan, they have to have a valid visa. And so um, that was, when this all started, like last December, this was pretty much all my focus was to help them meet at this December 31st deadline that Pakistan had set for. They were saying, okay, if you've overstayed your visa and you leave by December 31st, then we won't charge you all these fines. So we were trying to get things all sorted then, and it's just been, um, it's just the whole visa situation in Pakistan is literally like just an ongoing nightmare. Um, even some of those, you know, it was, we were supposed to get one-year visas. We only got six months on some of them, some were only three months medical visas. It's a mess. And so, uh, and it's also very expensive to try to get those keep up to date. And so in the very beginning, um, some of the first people that were helping me were people in my apologetics program, but we were just, they were just sending it to me on Venmo and we're sending it over to them on MoneyGram. And so that, you can only do a certain, so much with that. And uh, then one of Mark's friends, Don Shire, stepped in and he allowed us to um, partner with him in this effort. And so um, if any donations that are made to this now can now be donated through his ministry, Don Shire Ministries, and um, then it will go to them. So we don't have to worry about, you know, we just when we send money over there, I just tell him who it's going to and what it's for and provide documentation for it. And then he takes care of the reporting and everything. So if you would like to help out in this effort, you can go to donshireministries.org and then select Race to Walk for um, the area of giving. So the title of this particular uh, stream today is What is the End Time uh, Delusion? And um, this is Part of, uh, this actually comes from a passage in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, but um, 
people that are really into end time prophecy and end time events um, get really focused and wrapped up in that, um, up in this. And just generally, um, what it seems to me is that sometimes when people are either new Christians or very poorly discipled Christians or Christians that don't read their Bible and just read it for, you know, what it says versus like going and picking out particular pieces to a purpose, a lot of times they have a very warped understanding of end time prophecies. Um, Revelation can be really hairy. If you remember the guy with the wiggle cult, I don't he, uh, David Koresh, they said that he would, they would sit and read Revelation for hours at a time in a Bible study. And the thing about Revelation is you can't understand it outside of the, the context of the whole rest of the Bible. Um, the, the references in the book of Revelation are not, um, the symbolism and, uh, is not the, what we give it it's based on old testament prophecy and so you can't truly understand revelation if you don't know the rest of the bible and know the prophecies that it's referring to as well as the context of john as a new testament writer and the same is kind of true of this passage in second thessalonians um, this was written by the apostle paul and he uh it was written um probably around 50 AD. And uh, one of the things, when we went over this this passage in my Bible study last year, I think it was, um, I was, was kind of researching it. And what was interesting to me is that this letter was probably written about the same time as the DDK was, which was kind of like an early, it's how to do church manual um, for the early church. It's one of the earliest uh, documents that we have that's, you know, not the New Testament. So it get, kind of gives you an understanding of, um, if you read that, you can kind of get an understanding of how that early church understood uh, what doing church was and what being a Christian was. So what the context of this this letter of, uh, to, of Thessalonians is to the church in Thessalonica and somebody, some people had come and told them that the, um, the second coming had already come and that they had been left, basically, that you missed it. And they were causing a lot of um, uproar and concern among the church. And so this is in chapter 2. And Paul's talking about, he's reminding them, this is what I've already told you. Just remember this. Don't let people stir you up and get you upset. And so this is regarding the man of lawlessness. Um, this is also, this person is also referred to in the book of Daniel, but um, this is concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So there was a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And he's just saying, you know, don't worry. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until, one, the, a rebellion occurs and, and 
the man of lawlessness, this is the second thing, is reveal the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so this is kind of a, um, in the, uh, the intertestamental period, this was like during the 400 years of silence between Malachi and when Jesus came, there was um, the Antiochus Epiphanes was, uh, he did this in the, the, I guess it would be the second temple. Um, he set, he basically, he didn't set himself up as God. He sent up a, an um, idol to Zeus and offered like a sacrifice pigs in the Jewish temple. And this so enraged the Jews that they rebelled against these, uh, these Greek oppressors. And that led, that led to the Maccabean re revolt. And, um, he, uh, they had like kind of their own kingdom during that time. So it was a very short period of time where they were their own autonomous nation, um, before they were, brought into the Roman Empire, you know, conquered there. So um, when they talk about the abomination of desolation, Jesus refers to that as a watch. This is still coming. Um, that is referring to a reference of uh, Daniel's prophecy that this would happen. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes is really basically kind of a foreshadowing of, you know, that final, um, final point. But also, Paul is saying, remember this, this is going to happen, this is going to come, so why are you upset and why are you believing these people saying the day of the Lord has already come? And um, this, I, and I should look this up beforehand, but there's actually some, some early church writers that, because the same thing, it didn't just happen in, you know, during the, the first century when Paul was saying, the day of the Lord hasn't come yet. Don't worry about this. But also in the centuries afterwards, you know, just like today, we have people predicting the rapture. But in the centuries after that, there were writers, but there were always people making these false prophecies. And I don't, I can't remember who it was, but they, they said, is there a temple? Is there, is there a temple standing in Jerusalem? And has this happened? Has somebody set themselves up in the temple of Jerusalem and proclaimed himself to be God. So, because right now there is no temple, right? It was destroyed in 70 AD. And so these early church writers were saying, what are you thinking about? Like, there's not even a temple. So, of course, the day of the Lord hasn't come. The second hasn't, coming hasn't come. What are you thinking? So this was, again, this was this, this warning. But the people in Thessalonica, Nico were concerned at that point. And then Paul continues, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Oh, I just forgot. I had, I have screens about this. Okay. I have, this is the thing. My slides are, okay, here we go. I actually, they have a, I discovered this today. StreamYard actually has a limit on the number of slides you can have. And I went over it. You can only have a hundred videos and slot and images uploaded. And I did not include some of these. So anyway, he said, um, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. 
For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, which is power of lawlessness, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until um, he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. And the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And this is this is the end time delusion. This is a great deception um, or a powerful delusion as it's referred to uh, sometimes. But is they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so you can say, okay, well, this is they perish because they refu refuse to believe that, you know, the truth that Jesus is, you know, that he's the Messiah, that he's the way to salvation. That's true, but that's not all that it is. Um, they, because Jesus is truth, right? So if something is, um, what's, I can't remember the verse. It's like, because uh, God's light and there's no darkness in him, right? So he does not, um, God doesn't lie. God's not a man. He does not lie. And so, uh, John 10, 10, for the enemy uh, does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, uh, Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies. And so there's not, if, if you believe a lie, then you are, um, you can be unknowingly deceived, right? But if, truth presents itself to you and you still choose a lie, you are choosing deception and you are choosing a delusion. You're choosing a delusion. And so when um, you know, there's, uh, Jesus talked about what the unforgivable sin is and that is uh, for whoever um, denies the Son of Man can be forgiven, but whoever denies the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven either in this world or in the world to come. And He's saying that because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us, um, that uh, really, you know, all of us are have the ability to deceive ourselves. And we want to be right, but the requirement for um, salvation is that we have to repent. We have to confess. We have to confess our wrongs. We have to confess, you know, our, recognize um not only the wrongness in ourselves, which, you know, we have to be open to that conviction of the Holy Spirit to be able to even do that, but we also have to be willing to give up wrong ideas about, that we have about other people, about ourselves, about God, and if we're not, then we are resisting the Holy Spirit. And so I think that when we talk about the great delusion, do I think that this is that we're in the end time delusion? You know, I don't. I think that we we are human beings, and this is how we've always been. We've always been very prideful. We've always been, you know, resisting to um, acknowledging that we're wrong. So, is this 
the end time deception or leading up to it. I don't know, but I think we're prepping for it at least. Um, there's, I have a, a Bible study um, about, it's called the Spirit of Harlotry. It's about um, Hosea where he talks about that. And when we are denying truth and when we condition ourselves to love a lie better than we love truth, um, it doesn't only just affect us, but it, and it, when we do that, we're closing ourselves off from God, but it also affects our children. And this is what Jose is saying, is that when the, these, the Israelites, their children wouldn't even, wouldn't even know what it would be like to be in relationship with God. They wouldn't even know that there was a thing that they were missing because it would be so foreign to them. And they were shutting themselves off because they didn't want to hear it because they didn't receive the truth and they were giving it. When they were given it, they were shutting themselves off from God's voice. And so there were 400 years of silence between Malachi, the, the prophet Malachi, and when Jesus, truth in person, you know, God himself came to speak to them directly. And so I've... I think I've talked about this before. I don't know if I talked about this on the updates, but um, 10 years ago, I was uh, in, I helped um, start a launch the Holocaust March of Remembrance here in Houston. It was it was a national effort, but it was um, the very first march that was in, locally here was in 2012, and they had. Um, German um, descendants of Nazis that came and gave their testimony. And this one lady was a, she was a doctor, and she, um, the story about this group of people, they were German Christians, and they, they, they were in Tübingen, and they found out, like when the German government released all these documents about what different people had done during the Holocaust, um, they were told by their, you know, their parents and grandparents, oh, you know, I just, I just did accounting, I just did this, that they weren't involved in, you know, all the horrific atrocities. And what many of them found was that that wasn't true, that some of their, um, you know, some of their family members had done really horrific things. And this one lady, um, discovered that her grandfather had been part of this brutal, brutal massacre. And she said, I always felt like there was a wall between me and other people and me and God. And she said, as they, as this group of people start going around and confessing the sins of their, their fathers, right? And as they were going and doing that, she said, I, that came down, you know, and I was able to be in community with other people and also, you know, have that connection and fellowship with God. And she had been a Christian before, but she did not, there was still that block. This was a generational curse that was on her family because she, um, there was this unconfessed sin and that was broken when she confessed it. And this is first John one nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this was one thing, like we were going out and, you know, this is a, um, I didn't realize this until actually kind of recently we had, when we started um, the march, there were people that came and spoke to us and they said, well, you know, you have to be careful these specific areas. And 
I didn't realize that uh, just a little bit north of us is, you know, where one of the most uh, uh, vicious and disgusting white supremacist groups is is located. I, I didn't know that, um, but we didn't have like the people that were coming. The, the problem wasn't anti-Semitism. It was they didn't like that. Uh, what people didn't like was that they didn't like that. Uh, she was saying that you have to confess the sins of the fathers. She didn't like, they didn't like that. And that was the only pushback that we got about that, about the march. But it's true. And that was her testimony. And that's what, you know, Hosea is, is was saying. And when he's talking about the spirit of harlotry, it's not just affecting you. It's going to affect your children. And I've been, sometimes I look at what's being said in the church and, um, Especially, you know, people get really upset when they you talk about, okay, well, you know, God does still speak, and you can ask Him for directions, and He will give you He will give you guidance, and they get really upset about that. And I think, is it because God doesn't speak to you, or He's not, you're not hearing Him? And sometimes I think, you know, that may um, may be because they have a generational. Um, Maybe there is a block for them. Maybe they don't because maybe they've, uh, in their family, there is that, uh, what Jose called the spirit of harlotry, that's this generational curse on them that they're not, they're not hearing. Um, I've talked to our Afghan church. We've had a, uh, an entire lesson on this that, um, you know, they are, you know, we are working on them immigrating somewhere else. But, you know, it's kind of like, I see it kind of like when, the same as when the Israelites went into into Egypt, you know, to escape the famine. But it was also while they were there, it helped them grow and get established while all these Canaanite warlords were, you know, going back and forth and fighting over territory. And if they had stayed there and been there, they would have been, probably taken up into one of these other tribes. So it kept them as a people until they were, you know, God brought them out and they went back into the land. I kind of feel like this as, you know, the Afghans, they are, you know, these, these are people who, um, they're at risk because they were helping the U.S. and NATO forces and, you know, they believe in, you know, the, um, that, people as individuals all have value. They believe in these things that we've, we've been telling them, you know, that, that all people are created equal and that, um, you know, we should have a right for self-determination and they believe that and, you know, they value education. And, um, so taking them to a place where they can be safe while these just barbaric, uh, people that we've handed Afghanistan over to are decimating the country. You know that I've told them it's it's this isn't the end. You know you are we're working to get you to get you to safety, but sometime there will be a point where some of them go back and they're going to be some of the people that are helping reestablish the nation, and some of them are going to help you know to continue to grow the church in, in Afghanistan. And I said there's going to be people in your congregation 
that are going to be um, you know, children and grandchildren of the Taliban that did all these horrific crimes. And they're going to have a curse on their life because, and they're not even going to know why. And you're going to have to be aware of that and be, um, be ready to deal with it. You know, you, you have to, you know, just be aware that this is a thing. And this is a thing that they're going to have to be, have to be dealing with when they go back in because the things that are going on in Afghanistan right now are just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, some of the worst things that, um, I, I can even imagine going on in modern history. I mean, I've, as far as the brutality of things, you know, I've read about things that the, the Romans did to, uh, people who were rebels or that they thought were against them or challenged them anyway. But even in the Roman government, um, there were, there was justice. There was, a, you know, there were laws and um, there's really nothing, nothing really like that in Afghanistan. It's whoever pays enough money or, you know, whoever's friends with someone. It's just really, really, really horrific. So, Going back to the end time deception, um, you know, we have a lot of people who are denying truth right now. And um, I almost, I was thinking about this morning, I almost feel like 2020 was just so weird, but I almost feel like we almost entered a different dimension of reality. It's like, it doesn't matter. I'm, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think anyone's beyond the power of the Holy Spirit, but it literally is going to take an act of God to bring some people out of this delusion to break this. Um, I remember when we were first, you know, entering this pandemic, or we were already in it, we just didn't know it, but, um, you know, there's all these people debating, well, it's not really a thing. This is just people like trying to scare us, and, you know, uh, not wanting to do anything to, um, keep, you know, COVID from spreading. And I used to remember thinking, okay, well, you know, we'll see, we'll see one way or the other. It's going to play out. We're going to know if it's a thing. And if it's not, I mean, there's, there've been, you know, pandemics, you know, for decades, there've been different epidemics in different areas of the world that didn't affect us here in the U S and, um, I said, we'll find out one way or the other, right? And uh, we did, and that still, you know, people never admitted that they had been wrong about that. And uh, instead of like, okay, yeah, I should have, I should have done something. I should have taken some different actions. They just doubled down and continued on to be uh, belligerent and, um, you know, uh, just completely. Uh, not even, not even refusing to take action to not spread it to other people, but they wouldn't even, they were so, so, and there are people who have been so stuck in, I refuse to admit anything that they would rather die themselves than admit they're wrong. And so that's a delusion. Like when you refuse truth, that's a delusion. You're, you are creating, you're becoming delusional. You're choosing that. But this week has been, it's been a heavy week. 
in a lot of ways. Another example of when people you know, choose a lie over choosing to follow truth and you know follow God's justice is you know the whole thing with this is a post I put out um, earlier this week and by the way um, I usually put links in the description on YouTube I have so many links that I not even couldn't even begin to do that so I have an article on my website for this live stream and that will have all the links in it but you know we have we have a former president of the United States that has been indicted for not only taking classified documents, but also um, espionage. I mean, it's just, and the thing is, it, it really almost doesn't even come as a surprise at this point. Um, someone else has pointed out that, you know, this is, there's no avoiding prison with the things that he's done. He actually, where is it? He actually had um, a plan of attack. So these secret documents had a plan of attack on Iran. And he was showing them at one of it to just random people at his golf course, which is just seems, I, it just even seems like too much even for him. I mean, just as a reminder, we executed uh people for less than this in the past and for far less than this. And all of this is coming from uh, this last thing I think came from Mark Meadows and his, whatever he was, you know, these people that he was working with him that went along with it. They're all now like turning him you know, turning in him in because, you know, they're trying to um, kind of deal for themselves. And, you know, when you have so many things that you've done, at some point, you know, it, it's going to catch up to you. It's just going to. This is one of the things that I was thinking about this week when I was reading all this. It was just so unbelievable. But um, there was a guy that, uh, was Richard Nixon's, it was called his hatchet man named Chuck Colson. And he was arrested for, or he went to jail for his involvement in Watergate. I just want to say something about Watergate. Um, I, people, I, I don't think there was any disagreement about the fact that what Nixon and his fellow people did was wrong at Watergate. But now we have so many people that are justifying, like basically whatever Trump wants to do, we have people that are justifying it. And most of the time, they're people who call themselves Christians. So that's a problem. But this is one of the things that Chuck Colson said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. There's more than that, but he's making a point. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that the 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And that's true. 
and people should remember that. Like if you're like involved in shady things and um, you know, you're, you think that there's no one that's going to call you to account. I mean, it just takes one person getting caught up in something and offering you up as to get a, a um, better terms for themselves. That's all it takes. That's what I think about our school board all the time. There's so much, so much shady stuff going on. I remember after the 2017 election, I was like looking at all these things. I was also looking at like, what does it take to actually nail somebody for fraud? And uh, based on what I read, it basically takes a whistleblower. They have to have a whistleblower, somebody on the inside um, to uh, expose it. And that's what's happened, you know, over and over and over and again. We have um, ample evidence from people on the inside of Trump's crimes, and yet still people, there's people uh, that don't want to admit that. Okay, so you would think, like logically, like most, like, okay, yeah, if we're considered, uh, concerned about uh, even just the safety of our country, that we would just say, okay, yeah, you know, we just, we just cannot listen to this person anymore. But no, you have people like Carrie Lake, who's literally going around telling people to like start insurrection number two uh, to defend Trump. Anybody that does that, I'm sorry, but you literally have no moral, no more moral ground whatsoever. <sighs> and here's the thing, like I, I just. I don't understand. It's like there's literally no right. You know, it's like it's all about power and control. But usually the people who are, at least what seems to me in this specific set of circumstances, the people that are, um, excusing the worst behavior are the people who are calling themselves Christians. And this is Psalms 101, 6 through 8. Because it's like they think, okay, it justifies, you know, excuses him. We'll let him do whatever he wants to do as long as he does some things that we think are good for us. Basically, the end justifies the mean or might right makes right. Okay, that's not biblical. And that's actually um, has nothing to do with... Um, Anything that is something that you could claim as a foundation of the Bible. So this is um, this is in Psalms. This is David writing. This is all like good. Him saying this is an example of what it means to be a just ruler and to also to live with integrity. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, and that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless, will minister to me. No shady people, right? No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Okay, that, if we were doing that, that would eliminate a good percentage of the politicians that we have uh, representing us right now. Every morning, I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. So this is what our response is supposed to be when people are not being truthful, when they're not being fair, but instead we seem to think that it's okay if they do what we want. It's not. Um, I 
I don't know. I I feel like sometimes I've said this before. Sometimes I feel like am I doing the Afghans a favor by um, working on getting them here? Um, you know, when we talk about this delusion, you know, this this we choose, right? We choose whether we are going to seek truth and reject lies, even if it's a lie that we like, that we're comfortable with, or whether we cling to that delusion. And, you know, going back to like Nazi Germany, we had, you know, we have a, their response as a country was that they've made it a crime to, um, to deny the Holocaust. They have education about what uh, actually happened and what their action, their actions were, and they acknowledge it as horrible actions. And that is as a country, that's corporately. You have this small group of people who um, have gone further and have confessed what their family members did, you know, as individuals. But there were also people who did not do that. And there were, I read articles about um, the descendants of Nazis, like their children, like the main power players that were friends of Hitler, um, you know, their, their children, they, they never, they still would like meet like decades later as this, this core little, they saw themselves as this elite group. They never gave up that ideology and they continued, they continued in it. And so as a country, Germany had a good response, but it didn't, um, it didn't keep everybody. It didn't make everybody have that same response. On the flip side, like this, I think an example of how not to deal with something would be the U.S. and how we dealt with the aftermath of the Civil War. You know, the, the Confederates lost the war, but they never changed their mind. They never changed their mind. And so we may not have been at arms since then, but there's been this continual strife and struggle between white supremacists and, you know, the, the most, it's easiest if they're, they're wearing, you know, these, uh, clan outfits, cause at least you, you know what they are, but there's still people who have that idea in their head. And it's just crazy to me that there are states that will have state holidays celebrating some Confederate, quote, hero. I mean, the Confederates were traitors and seditionists. They were whites. There's nothing. There's nothing to have pride in the Confederacy. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. It, it was just mind-blowing to me to find out after I moved here to Texas, there are people who try to say that the Civil War wasn't over slavery. It was over slavery. It was like, they say it was over states' rights. Yeah, states' rights to have slaves. That's what it was over. And there's not this, even, I think, what was it? It was a Florida, I don't know, it was Florida or Texas. They were trying to, re maybe it's probably Texas, trying to redefine what slavery was. They want to control the textbooks so that, you know, they can have a different narrative about, you know, the Civil War. I, um, there were, 
I can't remember. There was a group that was really involved in, I mean, from the time of the Civil War, to um, basically have uh, paint the the uh, U.S. Um, not the U.S. but the Southern slavery as you know as a, uh, beneficial for the slaves. And Charles Wesley actually wrote to I think it was Wilberforce in the U.K. and he said that American slavery in the American South was some of the worst he had ever seen, the very very worst. But we've we didn't deal with it. We wanted to try to like just placate and make peace and get past it and move on rather than doing the hard work like Germany did in facing the ugliness of actions, you know, of the nation. We didn't we didn't want to face that. And we just wanted to kind of keep going. And so we're still dealing with it. And then we have we had Confederate flag flying in the U.S. Capitol on, or in Congress on January 6th, standing, and also along with that, we have a guy with a Camp Auschwitz shirt. And then in this other picture I have here, that was just, I think, I don't know, yesterday or the day before, there's Nazi protesters in front of Disney with a DeSantis 2024. So in the end, it's not, I mean, Trump made it acceptable to be a white supremacist, but that doesn't change the fact that we have this, this um, just virus, this mental virus in, um, in the country and just trying to um, pretend that it's otherwise isn't going to fix it. And I think that the church should probably, should be um, addressing that. But instead, we have people that are, I don't know, I'm sure there's some churches that are doing that. But it doesn't seem like it. It seems like either you just kind of want to focus on um, Bible generally, you know, rather than looking at how those biblical principles apply to us specifically today, how that plays out, or their on the other side, like denying that we have to acknowledge any wrong and pushing like, you know, this whole scare, scare campaign against boogeyman CRT. So I don't know, maybe people are doing it. I really don't see it, but we'll see. We'll see how next week plays out. It'd be nice to think that um, there's only, hopefully, I don't know. So, other thing this week, we have, Texas is so crazy, I can't even tell you. It's just, it's just massive delusion. It's massive delusion, and I think it really shows the hypocrisy of the church as a whole, because we have, for our attorney general, I mean, you could pick any one of our main, main uh, officials, state officials, but um, our state attorney general, Ken Paxton, I don't even know how many times he's been, how many things have been discovered about him. He's just, he was indicted like seven years ago or something. I don't even know. But there was this story that came out that um, his, uh, the person that was Nate Paul that was um, accused of bribing him 
was charged with a crime. And um, Kim Paxton was recently impeached. And it's just, he's such a mess. He's just a mess in general. But um, what was interesting was I came across an article. This isn't even from this year. Because, again, there's been a whole big, long mess of things he's been involved in. But in 2022, there was an article on Mother Jones. It's like Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton tried to overturn the election. Now he's going after Roe. So he was he was actually at January 6th. And he's filed so many different um, election uh, lawsuits. I mean, he's just... Anyway. Um, so this was... This is just a couple of excerpts from it. So he goes around. He's been bragging about this for a long time. He goes around and he, he brags about that he has done everything he can do to restrict voting. So rather than looking out for the uh, rights of all people, right? You know, because that's what we say in our Bill of Rights, that all are created equal. Well, no, only certain people in Texas, only certain people are you know, according to Paxton, should be allowed to vote. So they've done everything they can do to restrict voting. And just FYI, you know, my um, my married name is Alvarez, and um, I've had I've had my <laughs> voter registration. Like I've had to go in and like it's been put on like suspended or like had to go re get in and re-verify it like at least three times in the last few years. At least three times. Same thing with my daughter. Like cause she's a college student and so she has uh, like a mailing address versus different from where her she's um, registered and she's basically living there and the same thing her, hers too and it's like okay great you know I it just if they don't think you're gonna vote the way they're gonna vote I guess they're just gonna try to keep you from voting so he brags about it he goes and brags about it so everybody should be disgusted about that by that but people still elect him but what was really interesting to me about this is that um, maybe this isn't the right one. So, like I said, there were some of these that I put up and, yeah, so he goes and he, this whole article is talking about just how, a little bit earlier, he says that Paxton was a mediocre mess, really not that good at anything, but he does, you know, people's bidding, basically. And he's he's talking about this writer just took a lot of zingers in it it was really good um they are just so willing to um as long as they can be put in a position of power or get what they want he said they're always willing to bend a knee to any aspiring autocrat and he writes that there are a lot of kinpaxons out there it turns out so um but what was really interesting to me about this is that the article lines out just how um, devout Paxton believes himself to be. And this I thought was interesting. Uh, teenage Paxton was, um, was anxious about coming himself to Christ, fearful that God would send him to somewhere like Africa. <laughs> So, like, yeah, I'll follow you, but not there. And that probably is a little bit telling, right? 
So I, I will, you know, Jesus said, whoever would um, lay down their life, pick up at their cross and follow me will be my disciple. And he wasn't, there were certain things that Paxton wasn't willing to do. So that was interesting. But um, the, they were very involved in like, um, you know, Christian groups when they were in college and then afterwards. And the someone who knew him from those early days said that he was kind to everyone. And um, he, that he cared about people who were in different life circumstances than him. He said, every time he speaks, I'm disappointed all over again. And I think this is a good example of that, you know, just because you are right at one point in your life doesn't mean that things can change. Um, C.S. Lewis has a quote where, I don't know this by heart, but he talks every day we're, and with every decision, you're becoming a little bit more of a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. So we, we decide who we are by the choices we make and no one ever stays static. And so if, you know, it takes, um, you know, it takes energy to go against like our natural inclinations and follow nature. And so if we're not trying, then obviously we're probably going to be going the wrong direction. And so then he talks about, um, they were, when Paxton got into office that he would refer people to like his donors. So it's not like a direct bribe or direct exchange, but um, those donors would give him a commission and he wasn't disclosing it. And so he's using his position to a purpose, right? And then towards the end of this, he says, Jesus, somebody said, Jesus is involved in every deal. So they, they cloud it in um, religious words. So this, this greed and this uh, self-dealing, they tell themselves that it's okay, right? Um, this is actually a verse that um, we covered today in Bible study. This is Jeremiah 2.5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed from me? This is God talking about the Israelites. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. I think this is a description of Ken Paxton. You know, he was following whatever would profit himself. And so he's become worthless himself. It's a pretty good description of him. But then it's, this is last year. This is like, this article came out last year. And um, so what got him in trouble with the security, uh, got his first indictment, I think, is that, he was getting other people to invest in a company and made some representations that he wasn't supposed to. And, um, but he didn't invest it in himself, but the, the owner of the company gave him a, a stake in the company. And the owner said, God doesn't want me to take your money. So this person is basically, um, using, God as a an excuse for his bribe because that's what it was but he's covering he's like no no, no no it's not me but now after all of this after all of this is coming out um Paxton he thinks that he's persecuted like this is just you know because he's a Christian and they're just coming after him and so he thinks he's he's this persecuted Christian <laughs> 
it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he's he's somebody who has deluded himself. He has so um so denied the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life that he truly believes. He truly believes that he's the one being wrongly persecuted. You see this with like uh, Harvey Weinstein too. He he's another person. He thinks that people he was just wrongly convicted that you know he's just he was persecuted too so we can't see our own wrongs like when we continue um we can deny what we do so much that it doesn't matter i mean trump's the same way he, he thinks he's persecuted i mean you can say he's just putting on a show but i think he he's to the point where he honestly believes it he's deceiving himself this is a prayer of david keep me from lying to myself yes because we can do that these are a couple of verses that Anyway, again, it's going back to that end time deception. This is Jeremiah 5, 21. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, and have eyes but do not see, and have ears but do not hear. So you can be right in front of you, but you can refuse to believe it. And then this is kind of Jesus rephrasing this in Matthew 13, 13. This is why I'm speaking parables, because... You know, Jesus is telling a story, but we like to hear stories. But there's a moral lesson embedded in that. And um, he's saying, this is why I tell it. Because people don't actually, if, if I just came up to them and told them that you're being hypocrites, they would be defensive. Uh, but this is what he says, of seeing they do not see, of hearing they do not hear or understand. So that is, um, I think that... Um, how do you avoid the end time deception is that you need to make sure that you're willing to actually hear the truth even when it's uncomfortable or you don't like it. So going, moving on and what has been going on in Afghanistan. So this is, this has been the week. I said it's a heavy week. Um, there were, I started getting reports from people in my group that, um, there, the Pakistan, Police were going through and they were uh, doing door-to-door -door searches and they were arresting people and I uh, I had a lot more I mean there's tons of tons of reports on Twitter about this and I had more up but again I had to delete some because uh, I was going over my limit on um, slides but this is an article this is from last year and what this article is saying is that because it they there's always phases of this, but that they'll re remain in jail um, before being deported. So that was um, that was an article from last year. So there have been this another report of raids going on out there, um, and then another one. And so this is over just pretty much all week. This is what I've been hearing, and what really concerned me because this can happen at any time you know it just if they don't have valid status for being in pakistan this this can happen but what really concerned me was that um i got a message from someone in our group that was asking help for help with visas and um he was saying it, but he has th that unhcr certification and I said, well, you have that. You, you have valid status in Pakistan. You don't, you don't need to worry about that. And he said, there have been people who have had that UNHCR certification, which a very small minority have, 
And um, they took their documents and they still arrested them anyway. So I sent a message to, I wanted to see if this is true, right? And so I sent a message to um, someone that has given me um, a lot of advice um, since we started on, in with us. And uh, he's has connections. He's, um, he's Canadian, but he has connections with a lot of um, Pakistanis and Afghans. And um, so I sent him a message and I said, do you know what's going on? Um, I'm concerned about, like, I, they're saying that, you know, there's this really intense um, search and um, that even people who have valid status are getting arrested. And so he went to do a little bit of investigating and talking to his people on the ground. And this is what he forwarded me. I didn't, I'm not putting a screenshot of, of this, but he forwarded me a response from someone who is an Afghan, who has a, um, who is registered as a refugee in Pakistan. So they used to, pack before 2021, there would be a couple of options to be able to have a, a valid status in Pakistan without um, having a visa. That would be registering as a refugee. Uh, they used to do this, and then, but they're not doing it anymore. And the second one would be to get a UNHCR certification, which again, they're not, uh, we just had somebody go in for their third interview this week, and um, he was told by the person there that they're not issuing certifications. They're doing interviews and they're not issuing it. This is what he was told. So anyway, um, the response was, unfortunately, Afghan refugees for a small incident, one thing, small incident, started propaganda through social media. Actually, there is nothing against Afghan refugees. Some Afghan elements refugees doing crime against Pakistan law and participating in Pakistan politics, politics activity and raising Afghanistan flag. So we can't raise an Afghanistan flag. Carrying fake Pakistan identity, making fake visas and doing fraud with both citizens, Afghani and Pakistan. Overall, no harassment from Pakistani police Islamabad Police Academy would like to train and provide awareness to Afghan refugees how to cooperate with police and how to safeguard from criminals themselves. We are listing some Afghan volunteers from Islamabad and Rawalpindi to receive training from Police Academy and coordinate with police in the future. Please don't worry and have peace at your heart. I know you have a soft heart and have much compassion for the Afghan refugee. Blessings. Okay. Why this is like makes me so angry. I want to spit. This is, this is infuriating. So first of all, there's all these reports. He's like, oh, it's just a small incident. And no, no, no. It's, Pakistan police are totally fine. He's just making too big of a deal about it. And then he says, oh, well, they don't have valid visas. They have these fake documents. It's like, okay. So this is coming from a person who is, who doesn't have anything to worry about because they have that Pakistan uh, registration. People would love to be able to do that. It's not available. 
And this whole dismissive attitude, well, it's just your fault. Do you know how angry that makes me? And when I think about all the time and stress and money that has been spent trying to get them to a point where it's legal, it's like, oh no, it's your fault. So we're not giving, we're not going to give you this. We're going to extort money from you. And then we're still not going to give you, we're, we're not going to give you visas for any amount of money. And then we're just going to put the blame on you when we are going to be arresting you and deporting, but you back to the Taliban who want to kill you. So, and then to come from somebody who is, who is an Afghan and it's just, it's, it's infuriating to me. I've seen this multiple times. I, I've seen it's like people who have immigrated, right? They've immigrated. And so they have kind of like a dismissive attitude towards other people's desire to immigrate to a place where they can be safe and not be killed. Um, it's like, okay, well, you just kind of need to suck it up and deal with it. It's like, you know, they of all people sh should recognize or should have empathy for the situation, right? And a lot of times they don't. And that, that makes me angry. But then, so he's saying, oh, it's propaganda. No, it's not propaganda. This is, I don't know if you can read the whole thing, but this is a message I got from some one of um, my people today. So this is this is actually a kid that should be in college right now. He was evacuated from Pakistan by the Nazarene Fund and then just dropped off. And um, he was on the streets for a while. It sounds like from this he found somebody he was staying with. But he goes, "Hi, dear. So this this I get today. This hi, dear Carla, ma'am. How are you? Hope." Uh, you'd be so healthy and happy. These days in Islamabad, police are arresting Afghans. Three days ago, they searched all our area home by home, room by room, and arrested a lot of Afghans, including me. I was in the bazaar and coming to the room on Downside Road, and they stopped me and uh, direct asked me for the documents. I told them, let me get, get them... Um, get from room, I don't have in a hand or a pocket, but they didn't listen, and put me in the truck, Truck took me to their station for two days. Yesterday, I got the chance, called my friend, he brought my passport and visa, they feel sorry, so they did let him go. And they are searching all Islamabad and arresting undocumented Afghans, including ladies. So undocumented means not a valid passport, or not a valid visa it, to be in Pakistan. And again, they're not um, issuing and I'm issuing visas to Afghans. So anyway, um, that was this week. And um, so it's been, it's been a very, it's been a heavy week. There's a couple of people I haven't heard from. I need to um, see where they're at. They have, you know, they've applied for extensions of their visas and they're still sitting there pending. They haven't haven't been renewed. So anyway, um, this is a, um, a tweet I made this week. Again, all the, all the links to all this and actually more are going to be on my article on my website. But, you know, I honestly feel like the, the level of stonewalling that they're getting, that there's been reports that there's an agreement between the the Taliban and the Pakistan government 
to um, deport people who used to work for the, the former Afghan government, which, who, by the way, you know, a lot of them have applications, either SIB applications or humanitarian parole applications. And so there's this coordination there to round them up, deport them back to Taliban who will kill them. And I have to wonder, with the level of stonewalling and dragging their feet and delaying of processing the application, is this part of the U.S.'s plan? Is this, they, you know, don't want to have to deal with it, so if they delay long enough, then they're just, you know, they're, these people that they've promised a path to are going to be killed? Is, is, that, is that what the plan is? Because the other thing is, you know, I've had reports from multiple people that, you know, the CIA is working with the Taliban. We've had multiple reports that the U.S. is giving the Taliban $40 million every two weeks. Like, we are, when you say the Taliban are doing this or whatever this is, you might as well say the U.S. is doing it because we do that. We also have long history of um, CIA working with the uh the Pakistani government police. So don't tell me that they don't have some involvement here. This is what I think. So this is another story that this was a former Afghan ally. Um, if you don't read the full, the full tweet, they talk about how um, he was used to work in the, in the um, Afghan government, went to, I think it was Iran, and then came back to Herat, I don't know why he would come back, but he did, and then he went missing. They didn't know where he was for a while, and they uh, discovered his body. He was like brutally tortured before he was killed. So this is the fate of one of our um, Afghan uh, allies. This is another story of mother at risk deportation back to Taliban death squads, blaming the UK uh, government for visa delays. In the article, it says that the excuses they don't have room. I, I shared something last week or that they have um, out of 250 hotel rooms that are rented for immigrants in the UK, only six are being uh, used at the time they were doing this investigation and report. So obviously that's not the case. This is another story. Oh, okay, so this is more gaslighting by the Taliban. So um, this person is calling for the nation to be more united, and he's just blaming all these groups about um, spreading propaganda about how bad they are, and that if they just come back to their homeland, that, that you know there can be a peace, peaceful homeland for all. Complete, complete garbage. Complete gaslighting. Um, this is a, a story about um, girls, women who were jailed for speaking out against the, the Taliban. This is a, um, another, another article about um, the, the Taliban, that there are so many youths that are committing suicide because of the, um, just, you know, what the Taliban is, is doing and how hopeless their situation is. And then the UN just came out with a report this week about how um, just so unbelievably horrific that uh, conditions are in Afghanistan. And this is a this is that video. I'm going to play this. This is one minute, but this is what came out.
to read this. Um, so the Taliban has committed war crimes, including torture, extrajudicial execution, and unlawful detention. Amnesty International has been remotely documented for war crimes. They have taken encrypted messaging apps, interviews, and open source investigations. Evidence of these crimes are at risk of disappearing or being destroyed. The Taliban must cease this campaign of collective punishment. And they want to establish an independent commission and help bring justice for the victims and survivors. So that that's reality. No matter how much propaganda you want to try to put out, that's reality doesn't go away. So this is a, the other thing about Afghanistan and the U.S. this week. There was this whole big hoopla over this dissent cable that came out. It was Blinken released it to, um, to uh, I don't know, Congress or something. And uh, Matt Walsh had put out this, Matt or Mike Walsh, I can't remember his name. Is it U.S. rep in um, Florida. It's like, oh, all these people should read this. Like they had said that uh, the cable basically said that things were going to be really bad if um, the U.S. pulled out entirely and that they weren't prepared. No joke. I mean, I'm sorry, but making a big deal about that is that true? Absolutely. But it's not new information. You didn't need some cable to know that. They said that in reports that went came out in 2021. There was reports about that that came out in 2022. There was a report that came out about that in. Uh, just the last quarter, uh, the Sickers report to Congress, this is a new information. I mean, at this point, I'm like, are you just using this to make a big political deal over or do you want to get things done? You know, at this point, you know, they are in, they are in Pakistan, Afghanistan, surrounding countries. We need to get them here. What do you need to do to get that? And other than that, you don't need to be talking about anything else. Yeah, it was a goat rodeo, complete debacle. We don't need to know that. I mean, you don't need to keep talking over and over about the same thing. And we talked about this before. Ross Wilson, the acting ambassador to Afghanistan, did completely ignored everything and did nothing. We know this. We know this. So why don't we move forward and just get things done? So other thing, um, I think I, I mentioned, there was a couple of posts about this. There's like severe water shortage in Afghanistan and so there's these all these independent like water trucks going out and extracting water from the groundwater and selling it and like to dangerous levels um, so just to recap they had very severe freeze in Afghanistan a lot of livestock died then they had locusts coming in so a lot of the crops are going to be um, uh, destroyed and then now you know, severe water shortage. So there's a ton of stuff going on. And you have Taliban, who are just a bunch of terrorist thugs in charge. This is a, a tweet about um, the, that, I mean, this is the thing. They, they, the U.S. tries to make it seem like the Taliban are the best option so they don't have to do anything. They're still not, they're still not for the U.S. I mean, they still blame, like, crimes on U.S. and NATO allies, and or you know people who are uh, pro-U.S. and on this tweet, it's giving uh, an example of people who are um, like Taliban 
being caught in the crimes they're committing or they're accusing the U.S. of. So, uh, one of the, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, people are, this is just a, um, a comment by an Afghan, um, basically saying, you know, our crime is normal society. And, you know, that, uh, this is a, a translation from, I don't know if it's Pashto or Persian, oh, from Persian, but saying that the uh, the billionaires, the owners of Chalky have no idea, and the power of the money, it's like that it was the ordinary people who were killed in schools, mosques, on the, ro the roads. We experienced illiteracy, poverty, and prison. The heavy burden of the fighter was placed on the shoulders of some small, small boys in the mountains and some lonely girls in the streets. And so these are the people who are really the ones suffering. Um, this is an article about the um, how there are secret schools in Afghanistan specifically for girls. And um, this is what people have to do to try to get by because the Taliban has you know, put a lock on um, girls and women in public period and really not pro-education at all um, they were going to allow their fighters to go to grade 12 like just go back to school for 12 grade 12 just so they could get a diploma because that's gonna be super helpful they just want to be able to have have the the uh, certificate but not the actual education super helpful so other thing it was interesting this week it was that there was a an article that came out in the Texas Tribune about the um, plight of the some Afghan refugees. So here's the thing: there was I, I'm glad that they're covering that, but there was a lot of information in there that was very um, either misleading or um, sometimes just straight up wrong. And what was this one? So the story, the story is that this, they came out, I think I might have deleted this. They were brought out of, they didn't say where. I don't know if they were evacuated from Afghanistan or Pakistan, but they were evacuated in December 2021 by an organization that included their employer. I don't know what that means because what path did they come out on that? Um, there was also an episode on the Afghanistan Project podcast this week by a, um, they interviewed a, um, an Afghan, she's Hazara, that was, she was brought out on, in December, and then um, of 2021, and they were talking about the whole saga there, but they said she was able to make it out because she had a sponsor and she had to leave her family behind. And I'm not sure like what this person's, this story is about because they don't explain it or because it says it were brought here, um, I guess on humanitarian parole, but it doesn't say what the, um, what path it was, but for a very brief period of time at the end of 2021, there was a pilot program, uh, I think it was called Sponsor Struggles Then, that was um, 
for Afghans where they brought them over with sponsors. Like, so they got a sponsor and they, they brought them over. And then that was shut off to Afghans and then they relaunched it for Venezuelans and Ukrainians. And so if they have a sponsor, they can have a pass. So the, the person that was interviewed on the Afghanistan Project podcast and then the, the, the people in the story, it was actually pretty, pretty quick. Like, so they were evacuated in December. They were in a holding place for like three months and then they were brought, brought over here um, in February of 2022, which is quick. Honestly, there was I, what I've been hearing as far as like taking them. Okay, yes, you can come to the processing to act before they actually make it to the U.S. It's been a lot longer than that. Um, and then the person on the Afghanistan Project podcast, she was she said, "Oh, I got my visa in 15 days." It's just like, oh my gosh. So I think maybe it might have been on that pilot program, which is not an option right now. Um, when phase two welcome course starts then that would be an option. Like if you have a sponsor, you can nominate a refugee. I seriously, seriously hope that it's as quick as what these two families are talking about. But the other thing is that like this person, what was it? No. So they're saying here that it was, um, she qualifies for an, a special immigration visa. So she was brought here over here on humanitarian parole, but that's not, um, a path to citizenship or staying, they still have to either apply for asylum or um, she applies or she qualifies for an SIV application. This article says that it takes as much as 33 months to process it. No, it does not. It's not been taken. The, that, no. <laughs> the, the estimate right now that just came out like from Sigur, like three months ago is that to process everybody that's in the pipeline, it would take 31 years to process all the SIV applicants, 31 years, three years. No, but then they're also saying that it's just the one, um, I can't remember if it's this one or this one anyway. And they're saying, okay, so her, she applied for the SIV application and her husband applied for asylum and they said it'd be better if they got the SIV application because um, then it would cover her husband as well. Like it doesn't cover, they, like it wouldn't be covered under asylum. That's not true. That's not true. If they apply for asylum, that covers their family. I'd like the immediate family. So that article wasn't, it wasn't true on that. And the other thing was, um, and this was like, this is on the headline of the subtitle, but it, it, they only have like this single sentence in there. It talks about the refugee services of Texas. <coughs> and um, they're saying that um, that it just closed. And um, that is really, really unfortunate. I When I first, back in October 2022, when I first started trying to help them, um, refugee services was uh, the local Houston hotline was the one place I called that I got actual good information and a lot of information. It was really helpful. And so um, it's really unfortunate that it's closed. It just closed on May 26th. But um, the other thing I thought was interesting, they were talking about the fact that number when I was looking at just looking at the numbers that they linked to in this article, I was like, that doesn't make sense. I 
in the article on my website, I've linked to these files, but it linked to a, um, a report about how many people have been brought, brought over in, um, to the, uh, the U.S. and then also by state. And um, it was a little, to look at the numbers compared of Afghans compared to immigrants from other countries, it was a little, it wasn't a little, it was infuriating to me. And the thing is, you know, I realize that there are a lot of people all over the world that, that need help. And I think that we as, you know, just as a nation, you know, we, we are a nation of immigrants. That's who we are. And we should be um, welcoming to people in need. But um, when it comes to the Afghan applicants, um, the thing is we made a promise to them. And we, there are other nations where we take, we take them because, you know, that's part of our ethos as a nation, but it's more than that for them. Like we, we made a promise. We said we would, and we need to stand by it. Um, the guy I talked to uh, a little over a week ago with Morningstar Development, I was saying, like, what's the deal? Why is there, why is there such a stick? Why is there such a delay? And he said, well, part of it is, you know, our system was designed to um, have interagency communication and the agencies aren't communicating. So that's one thing. He said the other thing, there's been frustration in the immigration community, like, you know, people, immigration advocates, that it seems like, you know, Afghans are given special treatment. And the thing is, that's not true. It's not special treatment. Like I said, we, we made a promise to them. We just, if there was a U.S. citizen that was in the U.S. or that was in like one of these countries like Pakistan or Afghanistan, we go in and we get them. And there's a story, there's an interview with someone um, not two weeks ago on the Afghanistan Project podcast where he came, got his green card, and then went back to, because they wouldn't evacuate his family, went back into Afghanistan and um, waited and said, come, you know, basically come get me so he could get his family out. And he was there. It took three months for them to get out. And um, there have been other people who have done the same thing, and it took them a lot longer. But we do because we have an obligation. And um, we said, we said we would do this. We, um, so they're not, I don't consider, like when you look at who we're taking in from all over the world, they should have priority because we said we would do that. Um, there was an update that went out in part of the update in this daily update that goes out about you know this, this situation was that the only way to get an expedited to get expedited citizenship is to serve in the U.S. Army for a year. And the thing is, they shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't have to re-enroll in the army because they already did that. They already served, and um, that is just what is kind of ludicrous about it to me. And so, um, anyway, I <laughs> hearing those those two um, stories about the one in the Texas Tribune and the other one on the Afghanistan Project podcast about how fast the movement was just shows that we can do it when we want to. 
we can, but we're just not. I hope that when the second phase of Welcome Corps opens up, that that's the same, that it's fast. Because it's just, um, like I said, was sharing earlier, it's not a good situation for them there. And it's just drag, continuing to drag on. And what I've, um, I've shared about Welcome Corps in the past, I'm almost an hour and a half, I'm gonna have to call this a wrap, but it is a, Welcome Corps is a um, program that was launched in January. And in the first phase, oh no, crud. I might have deleted it. I had to delete a whole bunch of things. Oh no, I didn't. Okay, so Welcome Corps is, a, is a, pro, a new path for immigration that was launched in January. Um, you can go to welcomecorps.org. I have, I have a, a link to this in the description. And private sponsors can um, sponsor a, a, a refugee. And um, the sponsor groups have to be either be individuals, a group of five, or it can be an organization um, there has to be a team, one team member that will go through um, like an online training and fill out a welcome plan and basically be the point of contact. And they agree to raise $2,375 per person um, that is in the, the family that they're sponsoring and also help them, you know, get settled and acclimated for 90 days after they get there. So they're the ones that go pick them up at the airport. They kind of show them around, help the kids get registered in school, just kind of help them like basically, you know, be a friend, welcome to the neighborhood kind of thing. Right now they are um, used bringing people into that program and um, they're focusing on refugees that are already in the system, but it's supposed to like any time now, they were, when they initially launched this, they said it would be mid-2023. They were going to open up phase two where uh, those private groups could nominate a, a, a family. And so that is what we're hoping for for this. So um, for a lot of our people, I just, oh my gosh, I just found out that one of our families, it's been so busy. It's hard for me to like, there's been so much stuff that I I have to, I'm, I'm still trying to get, you know, I know what applications some people have, but I'm still trying to get details on like what everybody has. Like, do you know people? Do you have family in a particular country? You know, like what what kind of resources and connections do you have? Do you have applications in? And I just found out this week that um, one of our people who's actually a um, had been teaching the kids in the house church that. She should have. She qualifies, I think, for an SOV application. She worked for the Afghan government before. She gave her, like, some of her stuff she destroyed, like when she was escaping the Taliban. The irony of this is that they probably have it anyway because we left our list of information about who helped us. So I think she should be able to qualify for an SOV application, if not definitely a P1 um the P1 path under humanitarian parole, but we have um, one of the people that contacted me. He's used to, he was an attorney for the Afghan government before. Um, I connected her with him and he gave her some resources too because she has to get um, 
a letter of recommendation from our supervisor. So hopefully we can get that done. So anyway, it's just oh, such a mess. It's not, it's a mess. But anyway, keep us in your prayers. And again, if you want to help our little journey, um, go to donshireministries.org and select Raise to Walk to donate. And um, anyway, I think I'm going to call it a day because it's over an hour and a half. But um, I was going to, I want to end it with this video of a, um, somebody playing the flutes in front of the Hindu Kush. This was on, I'm going to share this. <laughs>